Pulse Audio Podcast Network. Hello, beautiful funerary cult members, and welcome to another History Happenings, where we talk about happenings that are historical in nature. Yeah. I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. And we're drinking some fucking wine. Yeah. What's up, Steve? Steve. We're still still drinking some F. Stephen Millier wine. Which is funny because like, you're like, probably like, when did you drink that last? Like two weeks ago? No, next week, bitches. Yeah. Except we just recorded that episode now. We're coming to you from the fucking future. Well, (laughs) we are. And the past at the same time. We are fucking time lords. No, seriously, like, this is our third episode we're recording in one night, so we're getting half, half episode. No, it's our, this will be I know, three. but, like, the happening is, I count that as, like, a half episode. Bullshit. You know, like, this time I don't have to talk. Stop belittling my efforts to come up with content for this beautiful bonus. Yeah. I hope you love our house. This beautiful bodacious. I'm excited though, because you're like, you're gonna like this one. And I'm like, yes. I've liked all of them so far, so let's see what this is. So, <laughs> so what happening are we herstering about? I, I that am... doesn't make any sense. <laughs> We're getting hysterical about some historical happenings. Yeah. And today I am going to talk about fatal fashions. <laughs> Fuck okay, yeah. that actually sounds really cool. <laughs> I knew it. I knew you'd love it. So Let's do this. Let's see how many of these I have in my closet. No, I'm kidding. Fashion has long been a double-edged sword for women. We're expected to walk a tightrope of looking good, but not too good, remaining modest to avoid being called a slut, but not too modest lest we be labeled prudish. I say fucking do whatever you want because at the end of the day, we're all going to die. Except, you know, those like current peasant dresses that have no shape. Maybe... My only issue with those is they were clearly made for suit, like one body type. And they don't have any pockets. It is 2021, the year of my Lord. (laughs) Maybe not your Lord. My Lord. Mother Earth. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. I was like trying to think of a lady and I'm like, what? Hey, are we sure? Madonna. Guys. (laughs) No, isn't that what they call like, because when they, when they like. Like the one of like Mother Mary and Jesus, they call like Madonna oh, and yeah. baby. The Madonna. Yeah. And yeah. I'm like, okay. so Madonna, not like pointy cone breast Madonna. No, like okay. Mother of Jesus Madonna. I am. I am coming to you, <sighs> your humble servant. And I'm begging you for some fan art of peak 80s Madonna Holding a baby in like a traditional like Mother Mary. Pose. Yes, with and the baby has to have like that like really funky halo that they always give Jesus. Yes, yeah. Well, Please. Mary, Mary has it too because it divinity. Yeah, divinity. that's true. Yeah, so. but yeah, they have to have like the peak like pointy bra. Yeah, the, Madonna. The blood, the netted fingerless gloves, the big bow, the frizzy blonde like, hair. The art doesn't even have to be good. Just. Give us this art, please. Here's the thing. If it's good enough, we'll totally put on a shirt and we'll give you somebody for it because that's fucking amazing. <laughs> right? Yes. Okay. So, uh, while women have used fashion to make a statement and to take control of their bodies, in the past, a woman's fashion choices could have deadly consequences. So today I'm going to be talking about some historic fashion trends that were truly 
to die for. But <laughs> three <laughs> seconds in and we're getting ponderful. Yes. So this is by no means a finite list, but more of a selection of some of my favorites. And I might revisit this in the future if you guys dig this topic, because there is a lot like a disturbing amount of fashions that could have killed you. I'm so excited right now. Crippling corsets. So I'm going to start off upstairs. Probably doesn't fit. You me do. Anymore. Uh, so what I'm going to start off with is what's probably the most well-known fatal fashion trend, the corset. The whole point of a corset was to make a woman's waist as tiny as possible to give her an hourglass figure, and it would also push up your tits so they were front and center. If your tits were big enough, you could literally use them as a shelf and, like, put things on. Oh, yeah. No, like, they, like, so instead of your boobs instead up. Instead of pockets, we get shelf tits. It's it's fine. It's totally fine. Back then, women would have said, hey, my eyes are up here, but they couldn't breathe thanks to the corsets. While corsets are making a bit of a comeback and can be used safely, a la Renfest, a la BDSM, that, That's a la what mine was for. For a look. I realize you, I said that in the middle of two things. <laughs> mine was for Renfest, not BDSM. Although I would make a great dom in BDSM. Oh, you would. God, you could dom me all damn day. I don't want to think for myself. I just want to make you happy. Mm. <laughs> I want to please you, Madam uh, Kelly. <laughs> we're going to change this podcast. All right. <laughs> vote now. Call 1-800-KELLY-BDSM-DOM <laughs> to vote. <laughs> so, um... They can be used safely now, and they are, and they are making like a fashion comeback back in the Victorian era where no one gave a shit if you lived or died, so long as you looked like a hot, sand-based, time-keeping instrument, people would lace corsets as tightly as possible. Oh, yeah. Like, think Pirates of the Caribbean when she when she actually says, there's a line in that movie that's like, am I supposed to be able to breathe? And I think they say like, oh, it's the latest fashion and france or whatever yep. like and they're like oh no it's it's the latest fashion in france and she goes well women in france must not or must know how to not be able to breathe or something like that yeah i and just remember that and I'm like, passes yeah out. and then she passes out and falls in the ocean and almost drowns because her dress is so fucking heavy but then it kicks off the whole franchise so and you know johnny depp honestly depending on how you feel about all that corsets are either the best thing or the worst thing in the world so tightly laced corsets would literally move the wearer's internal organs around. It's so and bad. could even break ribs. If you want some, to see something like real gross, like Google like corsets and internal organs and some of like the, like it's not extra. I don't think ex, internal organs show up on x-rays, but like, yeah, like cat scans and stuff will show you like how like their livers and kidneys like shifted and like they're all like, oh, it's, it's. Not pleasant. In one extreme case, a woman died while wearing a corset when the steel ribs that lined the corset broke and stabbed her in the heart. That would have been a really short movie. Elizabeth Swan, like her corset breaks and just stabs her in the heart and she dies and we're all Yeah, instead of like they, you know, Captain Jack pulls her out of the ocean instead of like ripping it off and her breathing again. It's just, she's just there bleeding on on the dock. Like, oh. She's dead. Go away. She's dead. Yeah, exactly. 
Even nowadays, people practice what's called tight lacing in which they wear corsets for an extended period of time, slowly making them tighter and tighter until their figures are permanently formed into an hourglass shape. The current Guinness World Record holder for smallest waist is Kathy Young, whose waist is 38.1 centimeters, which is 15 inches when corseted, and 53.34 centimeters or 21 inches when uncorseted. That is less than two feet in diameter. Like, oh, I think after this, I went and found a tape measure to figure out how like big my waist is. Oh, I yeah. don't remember, but it's it's. Way I think more I think the standard I want to say is like six feet. No. Sorry, I thought you said inches. No, so 21 inches when uncorseted. Is that now or then? That this is her waist so when uncorseted. In the United States, a standard waist size is 38.7 inches. Okay. So yeah, significantly more than 21 inches. Mm-hmm. And when we're talking about waist size, an inch is a lot. So she achieved We're talking this- about natural waist, not like- what fashion companies decide yeah. is your waist. So Kathy achieved this by wearing a corset 23 hours a day, yep. only removing it to shower. And like... Like she slept like... Oh, yeah. Okay. Because so, you're permanently changing the way your body looks via the corset. Yeah. That's true. Like if, if you wear it as many hours a day as she did, eventually at some point you'll be able to take off the corset and your body will just stay that shape it's like my finger it's not as pronounced because my fingers have gotten smaller but i've been wearing a ring on my left index finger since i was i don't know 16 years old and now it permanently indents a bit yeah it's like when i take mine off i can see i have weird spots on my hand i think it's oh it's from the soy sauce from the chicken (laughs) jesus christ oh Um, my god do i have cancer no it's soy sauce. no but like (laughs) i've been married for what, like five, six years? Five and a half, I think now. And yeah, when I take it off, like, I mean, now that I've lost a ton of weight, there's not the indent anymore. I actually had to have my ring down downsized. But if you look at it, you can see see how smooth that, yeah. like, feel it. You can tell there's Whatever. like a smoothness to that skin. Do you demand I feel your finger, madam? Yes. <laughs> feel my finger, slave. Yes, ma'am. All right, but that is corsets. So my next section is called The Green Dyed Monster. Wait, what? Is this is this about Reagan? No. Oh. All right. Now I want you to imagine your closet. How many articles of clothing do you have that are green? It's a pretty common color, and Kelly is literally doing I know, the I'm math. Like, I actually don't like when I was blonde, which I'm not, you guys have I you have purple yeah. hair now. I have purple hair now. It's dark violence. Reddish purple. I'm actually working. Yeah, dark violence. I'm working on. Oh, okay. So ever since I had my surgery, my hair thinned. And now it's finally like back to maybe a third of what it was before. Um, so we decided uh, bleaching my hair was not the best option. Because I do want to go back to blonde. Yeah. So we're using like a bleach shampoo, which is it doesn't hurt your hair the way bleach does. So I'm working on getting back to blonde. But yeah, so it's dark violence. I completely forgot where I was going. Oh, so when I was blonde, 
I wore a lot more green than I wear now. So I'm like, I'm like thinking, I'm like, how many green? I think I only own like two green shirts. I literally wrote in my notes that the color green makes Kelly look like Grace O'Malley when her hair is red. It does. Well, and that was the thing, like we were talking about like what, you know, cause like my hair holds color ridiculously well. Like my, even my like uh, salon person was like, damn, like, cause normally purples tend to fade to gray yeah and like people that's why you don't see a lot of people with like dyed purple hair because it tends to fade to gray and so we were like talking about that and i'm like i wonder what my hair is gonna bleach to and we've so i'm one actually two two purple shades down from where i was and both of us are like i think my hair is gonna bleach to red because that's what it was before i went blonde to red to purple and i think it's gonna go purple to red to blonde that's pretty cool, though. I like that. My my hair does not hold color well. It's no. like, get the fuck out of here. Most people's don't. Yeah. I, I'm incredibly lucky and incredibly cursed at the same time, because <laughs> if I want my hair to change color, it takes like a year. Yeah. Which is why when... So when Emily met me, I was a redhead. Yep. Because I started college as a redhead, because... When I finished my senior year of high school, not only did I dye my hair red, I cut my hair super fucking short. Yeah. To the point where when I came back for my sophomore year and I was my natural blonde, I had people be like, oh, did you dye your hair blonde? And I'm like, no, this is like, I literally had like two inches of blonde when I stopped yeah, but school you, the you semester before. the red hair so well. I was totally ready to believe that you were just 100% as Irish as humanly possible. Well, and it's because my hair holds... So if people don't know this, people who haven't dyed their hair, red is one of the hardest colors to hold when you dye your hair. Unless you're me, apparently. And I think it's because I... I well, I'm not as Irish as you think I would be, but I I must have like some certain gene or something because my sister has it too. Because I remember when I was in like sophomore of high school, we like me and my sister both wanted to dye our hair, and she wanted to do like a golden blonde, mm. but golden means there's red in the dye, and so her hair turned out like a weird like orange color, and oh, so we no. we found out that like if we want to dye our hair. Anything other than red, we can't have a dye that has red in it. Because if we have a dye that has red in it, our hair will pick up on the red. And I've actually had hairstylists tell me that my hair holds red better than any other color and any other person they've ever met. I think it's because you're the reincarnation of Grace Apparently. I want to become a pirate. Okay. Um... I have a really great you're, pirate you're a outfit. Dom pirate. Yeah, Dom. <laughs> oh, God. That would be That great. would be your thing. Great. Does anyone need a Dom pirate? I charge uh, $15 an hour. Oh, honey, you got to do more than that. $30 an hour? I charge at least 20 for nude modeling. $30 and I don't an hour. Touch anyone. $30 an hour, and I will whip you as a Dom pirate. There we go. Back to my notes. Back Please. to my notes. We're here. So we're on green. green I'm so excited about green. this. Green. I love we've talked about every color except for green in this. We're 18 tirade. minutes in and we've gotten like two minutes into the green portion. We, yeah. we literally got to how much green do you have in your closet? Yes. So 
It's a pretty common color nowadays, but back in the day, green clothes were very hard to come by. Dressmakers would combine yellow and blue dye to make green, you know, go back to your preschool classes, go to the color wheel, you've got it. But that was so much more expensive because it took twice as much dye to create. Wait, did it really? Well, because you need the blue dye and you need the yellow dye. I suppose, like, so you're using two dyes to make one color instead of just using one dye. Colors not my specialty. Math is not mine. <laughs> but together then, we are one person in mind. <laughs> but then in the late 1770s, chemist Carl Wilhelm Scheele invented a straight up green pigment by mixing a potassium and white arsenic in a solution Ooh. of copper vitriol. You know, just typical stuff you have lying around the house. Yes. Do you want to know something, Emily? This dude made arsenic dye. No, some guys just can't hold their arsenic. God damn, you didn't. <laughs> but right, this right guy when you could. said white arsenic, I was like, but don't this guy sing the did, song, Emily. And he made a ton of money off of it. So he appropriately named it Shields Green, but because that didn't have a fashionable flair, it became known as. Paris green. I was like, is it Kelly green? Because there is legitimately a color spelled incorrectly because people don't know how to spell Kelly. No. But there, my school color, not joking, was Kelly green. My greatest regret in life is that you didn't marry a guy named Kelly. Um, And have a Kelly green themed wedding. In (laughs) high school, my friend tried to set me up with a person Purely because we had the same name. I know. And I'm mad that wasn't the beginning of your love story. I'll tell Justin he needs to change his name. I, you better okay. because I take I was about to yell, to but I was like, let's not subject <laughs> our listeners let, to that. Well, let, let's not drag Justin into this. We don't need him. Until after the recording. Until after we change his name behind his back. Anyway. Ooh, I wonder if I can. I'll just forge his signature. Yeah. I mean, his signature is literal, like, just like scribble yeah it means nothing so the dye was a huge hit and was used in everything from dresses candles artificial flowers candy wrappers paint candy wrappers candy not just the wrappers but the candy too wait what yeah there was green candy it was in paint wallpaper and children's toys Yes, it was in fact the latest fashion trend to sit in your room decorated with poisonous wallpaper while wearing your poisonous dress while your child plays with poisonous toys and munches on poisonous candy. There, okay. You know, the good old days. Yeah. Before I'm, government regulation. There's a novel about that. I feel like it's written by Stephen King or something. It's like the girl in the yellow room or something like that. And it's like about someone who's in like a room with wallpaper. Yeah, that ends up being like poisonous and she fucking goes crazy. It kind of reminds me of the Virginia Woolf story, uh, the yellow wallpaper. Yeah, that might be it. Okay, yeah, but that was that was less about the wallpaper being poisonous and the madness of isolation and being a woman with no choices or options or outlets. Anyway, the poisonous dye was so popular that even Queen Victoria, for whom the era was named for, wore arsenic-dyed clothes. Side effects of arsenic clothes may include nausea, colic, diarrhea, headaches, sores, scabs, and other soft tissue damage. Use as directed. <laughs> the dye was particularly oh, yes, dangerous. Directed. Yes. Consult with your phy- physician before wearing any poisonous clothing. 
So the dye was particularly dangerous when it became wet and that because then it would convert into poisonous gas. And this was a total non-issue, though, because we all know how arid and dry England is. It's never damp. It's always sunny. It's a desert. Yes, Kelly, you're raising your hand with a question. <laughs> so No. So the thing I was thinking of, you were talking about how it was in like wallpaper and stuff. So the, the thing I was thinking of is a book called The Yellow Wallpaper. By Charlotte Perkins Gilman, mm. written in 1892. Uh, that might be what I'm thinking of. Maybe I thought it was Virginia Woolf. But, but yeah, that it, it's school. the same thing. And it, yeah, it's, it's, anyways, moving on. But yeah. Green. I highly recommend. That's a very, very good story. Unfortunately, those who were most affected by this fatal fashion trend were the workers who manufactured the dye textiles, a la radium girls. <laughs> uh, they often worked day in and day out in hot rooms that were saturated with arsenic. And you know how great ventilation was in those old Victorian era factories. You know, everyone had an air purifier and a humidifier and everything was fine. In 1861, a 19-year-old artificial flower maker named Matilda Schuer died of poisoning from her work. Oh. She really reminded me of the Radium Girls, which we covered, um, because her job was to dust artificial flowers with the deadly powder, kind of like the Radium Girls would use the deadly radium paint to paint dials and watches and things like well, that. Well, and even pre-before them, hat makers? Yes, with the mercury. The, the reason... The Mad Hatter in Alice Wonderland is called the Mad Hatter is because, yeah, hatters used to go mad because they crafted with mercury. Yeah, because they used it for the uh, to help tan the animal skins or to make it soft or yep. silky. So each day, Matilda Fashion. was inhaling the powder and ingesting it when she ate as it covered her hands. Because they're, they're not like wiping it off. No. They're not washing their hands. It's of just, course not. They're, just powder. It's they're fine. They're just working. It's yeah. fine. According. It's fine. It's fame. According to papers at the time, her death was painful and oh. grisly. She vomited green. The whites of her eyes turned green. And he, she even told a doctor that everything looked green. And then this was the inspiration for green eggs and ham. Apparently. <laughs> Dr. Seuss was a sick fucker, man. <laughs> Dr. Seuss was sitting in that meeting like, green. Yes. Green eggs and ham. He I got actually, this. He actually wrote that book on a dare because it was a challenge to write a book that used, I think, a hundred words or fewer. And yep. that's why there's so much repetition. Yep. And he hated it. He's like, this is the worst shit I've ever written. And now it's like a classic. So back to Matilda and her horrible, horrible death. She had seizures, foamed from all of her facial orifices. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to kick you. And finally died. When doctors performed an autopsy, they noticed how her stomach, liver, and lungs were dyed green? a brilliant green. Paris green, to be I was specific. Say, I'm really glad that it's not Kelly Green. Yeah, yeah. I, I think we've all rethought that stance. We are still changing Justin's name, though, legally. Yeah, no, we are. So Just, just wait. 
there was public outrage over Matilda's death and an investigation was launched. It was found that one headdress with artificially dyed flowers contained enough, contained enough arsenic to kill 20 people while a dress could shed 60 grains of poison in one night. It would only take four or five grains to kill an adult. So while you're dancing the night away, wow. you are literally like arsenic is being dusted off of your dress oh, enough yeah, to kill like other people tons of people seriously though all i can think of is you know some guys just can't hold their arsenic they can't then, but the, they the, literally can't the great part is in the renee zellweger version of that she says that while biting and pulling out a red cloth from some dude's mouth yeah who whoever that actress is because it's not renee zellweger who sings that part <laughs> No, it's not. It's some side character. Yeah. This realization caused people to fear the color green. Even after non-toxic green dye was created, called Nouveau Vert, green wouldn't come back into style until 1863 when the French empress wore a brilliant, non-lethal green green gown to the opera. But yeah, you can thank that French empress for all the army green clothes in your closet. You mean in your closet? In my closet. Thank you, random French empress. Your language is impossible to speak, but your color green is pretty sweet. There we go. That's close. So my next section is called Lotus Feet. In China during the 18th century up through the early 1900s, dainty feet, also called lotus feet, were all the rage. Yeah, I was like, what the fuck is lotus feet? (laughs) I'm like, you know what lotus feet are. You just probably haven't heard them called that before. No, I definitely haven't. I just learned that doing this research. I had heard of the practice. I didn't know they were called lotus feet. Mm. I definitely do not have lotus feet. No, me neither. Small feet on a woman signified her high status and were seen as a mark of beauty. You see, if you had small, nearly unusable feet, it meant you weren't of the working class. Nearly unusable? Yeah. I'm sure it wasn't completely unusable? No, I think you could, like, stand for certain periods of time. Ten seconds. Yeah, ten seconds. They used to have competitions on who could stand the longest, and the record, I believe, is 15 seconds. Good on her. Yep. Um, so having these teeny feet meant you weren't of the working class and someone who had to toil in the fields or perform other manual labor, like us commoners, sitting at our computer desks all day and toiling. Yeah. Now is the time to have tiny feet. Right, and like now feet. is the time for this. Yes. So <laughs> Tis the era. Tis the era of tiny feet. Tis the era of sedentary lifestyle. So a woman with bound feet was seen as more marriageable, which is a gross word. And there were even different grades of feet based on their size. Of course there is. Because not only do you have to have tiny feet, but we have to grade you on the tininess of your feet. That's such bullshit. Yeah. A woman with feet that were five inches or longer, a la everyone listening, including (laughs) us. Except for unless there's like a five-year-old listening. Which like, what are you doing? Did you steal your parents' credit card? How are you listening to this right now? Good for you. That's true. Good for her. <laughs> um, so you, if you had feet that were five inches or longer, you were called iron lotuses uh, and you were deemed undesirable. So we're going to die marry, unmarried spinsters. Yeah, but if he married someone with feet that are five inches or bigger, is he really worth it? 
And his name is not Kelly <laughs> yet. Until <laughs> <laughs> tomorrow. If your feet were four inches long, you were considered a silver lotus, which is better. A golden lotus was any woman with feet three inches long or smaller, mm. and they were considered the most desirable brides. It's like this long. That is. That's child nothing. feet. Nothing. That is absolutely. I always. Guys, my hand even three inches long. Like my hands. Mine probably, is well up. I was going to say my hand is probably bigger than three inches and my I have teeny weeny baby hands. A woman with tiny feet could achieve upward social mobility. And that's how big of a deal this was. So if you were in a lower social class and you had like golden lotus feet, you could marry someone in a higher social class because that's how important your teeny weeny feet were. And I don't want to understate how important social mobility was at that time. Oh, yeah. Especially for women and especially for people trying to marry women off to elevate their own social status. So really, you're turning your daughter's feet into a social commodity to be sold and traded off in exchange for money or status. It sounds really gross gross. when you think about it that way, doesn't it? There were many variations of feet binding which used different techniques and had different levels of severity. But typically, to achieve this look, girls would have to start young, between the ages of four and nine, before the arches of their feet had fully formed. Really quick warning, this is going to get gross for like a paragraph or two, so just buckle up. It should be noted this practice was more inflicted onto children who had no say. So oh, even yeah. if kids were like, yeah, I want to do that, like they're fucking children. They don't understand. No, yeah. that's gross. And I'm just going to say right now, no child would willingly agree to what I'm about to describe. Well, here's the thing. They were probably like, yeah, I want to be desirable, but they didn't understand what that meant. Yeah. So girls would have their feet soaked in a mixture of herbs and blood to soften them. Herbs and blood. Like, that's already we've gone Gross. too far. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe like herbs herbs and essential oils. Herbs and spices. Herbs and spices. Even like some water with salt and pepper. I'm like, that's fine. But herbs and blood, where'd they get the blood? What kind of blood was it? Were there different grades of blood depending on what animal it came from? So many questions that I don't want the answers to. (laughs) So after they were soaked, their toes would be folded under their feet and pressed down until they broke. Then the arch of the foot would be broken so that the foot made a dramatic arch facing down. So imagine mm. just like the, the it, opposite of a normal foot. No, it's 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 still following the same arch line, but it's like a dramatic downward V. So like here are your toes, here's your heel, and then it just goes. Mm. So it's like your toes and your heel, everything's like facing downwards into like a, an upside down V. The newly broken feet would then be tightly bound to keep the shape. Maintaining lotus feet was a lot of work. The feet would have to be regularly unbound to be washed and checked to make sure there was no infection. Each time the bindings were reapplied, they were tighter than the last, which kind of reminded me of the tight lacing, how it has to like incrementally get tighter and tighter to make the shape more dramatic. That's gross. Yeah. Infections were a common result of foot binding as the person's toenails would begin to grow into their feet. So imagine your toes have been broken so that they're under the pad of your foot. 
Those toenails still grow and they can grow up into the bottom of your foot. It's the world. Oh, it's like rabbits and stuff will do that. If you don't trim their nails, they'll just grow into the pads of their feet. It's like the world's worst and most implausible ingrown toenail. This is why it was so important to keep the toenails trimmed when the feet were unbound and washed. And sometimes toenails would be removed to mitigate the risk entirely. So in addition to breaking children's feet, we are also ripping out their toenails, Mm -hmm. which if you're doing this is actually totally preferable, but awful. If the bindings were too tight, circulation to the feet could be disrupted so much that necrosis of the flesh would occur. So your feet might rot off. It's fine, though. You'll be you'll get married. It's fine. Foot binding began sometime around the 10th century. But by the 19th century, 40 to 50 percent of all Chinese women had their feet bound and nearly 100 percent of upper class Chinese women were victims of the practice. And I'm coming off as super judgy because I'm coming from a place of abuse is abuse. But this was almost a requirement of women so that they could be married off, so that they could elevate their social status, so they could elevate their parents' social status. So they're kind of put in this impossible position where feet binding is the most advantageous thing for them. And that in of itself is super fucked. Yeah, it is. And it's just... you can't see my face, but Emily yeah. can. I'm just over here like, Ugh. well, and it's relative to any situation where we put women in an impossible position where they have to do something extreme to survive, but it's really just hurting them and it's hurting everyone else. Like this is just, this is sad. There were many attempts throughout the years to stop foot binding, but the practice only began dropping off in the early 20th century. And you, I at least, as far as the early mid-aughts, you could still find women who had been victims of foot binding. Ugh. And just really quick, you guys, I looked at a lot of pictures during my Don't research. Do Don't do it. Be wary, okay? It's not pretty. It's really painful and really hard to look at. But I felt like this, I almost didn't include this because this one, this was the hardest section to write about. But I felt it was really important because... I feel like this really gets the root of the issue of a lot of like imposed fashion standards on women, how they're really just forms of oppression. Yeah. No, it's so bad. Yeah. So my final section to bring us back up because that was really rough is titled hazardous hat pins. Now we've discussed a lot of fashions that killed or hurt women, but what about fashions that women used to inflict harm? Yes, we're striking back, bitches. Before mace or walking with your keys in your fist, there was the hat pin. Back in the day, big elaborate hats were all the rage. The bigger and more absurd, the better. And I'm imagining stepping, women stepping to each other and comparing giant hats like it's like they're whipping their dicks out. And it's like, who's is bigger? Who's is more absurd? Who's is more physically implausible to function right. in? Who has the most fruit? Yeah, yeah. If you have eight or more different kinds of fruit, you win. It's like finding the golden snitch in Quidditch. You just win. You're done. Right? It doesn't matter. Yeah. These hats were often decorated with flowers, silk, taffeta, feathers, fruit, and anything else that made them look massive and tacky. 
These materials were secured with hat pins. And hat pins themselves were decorative, but they were also long and sharp. And they had to be to pierce through six feet of taffeta and fruit that was piled on the wearer's head. Right. So hat pins were perfect for defending against creeps, especially since running away wasn't really an option when you had six feet of tacky bullshit stacked on your head. There was no running. And they actually used to make shoes like too tiny for women. So running was like not, not a thing. It, it was actively discouraged, which is gross. Well, the hat pin wasn't likely to kill someone, though it did happen. It would hurt like hell if you got stabbed. Like, at the very least, it's a significant deterrent. Right? Like, those things are, like, they're a lot bigger than, like, safety pins and shit. I'm basically imagining a super sharp knitting needle. Yeah, basically. Like, and, like, Slightly this thing smaller, is but yeah. sharp, stabby knitting needle. One woman, while riding a Chicago train, was able to defend herself against two would-be robbers using her hat pins. And according to the Times, the robbers, quote, jumped off the car without having got anything except wounds. Ooh. Reminds me of that bit in Archer where, Ma- where Mallory's, like, got her gun out in self-defense. She's like, if you come at me, all you'll get is holes. I mean, holes in you. Like, wait a minute. <laughs> so I hope this woman held our hat pin. She's like, you're going to get holes, bitch. Right. Stabby, stabby stab. That's what I would do. Right. Hat pins also afford women a sense of security. One woman wrote, quote, I always feel safe going home late at night with a hat pin available for protection. Before leaving a streetcar, I always carry a hat pin ready in my hand until I am safe within the door of my house. Thousands of women undoubtedly can speak from their experience of how stout a Sorry, how a stout hat pin has been an effective defense in times of danger. Which, like, if that isn't the most fucking relatable thing in, like, any era, I don't know what is. Like, everyone listening can identify with that. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, like, whether you use your keys, whether you have pepper spray, or whatever. Every woman has some weapon on her at all times. Yeah, or just something that makes her feel safe. Yeah. In In their book... The Hat Pin Menace, American Women Armed in Fashionable 1887 to 1920, Carrie Seagrave writes, quote, Perhaps the only time in American history, virtually all American women went out and about armed with a deadly, though legal, weapon. And just really quick, uh, some of Carrie's other books include Women in Smoking in America, Parasite in the United States, (laughs) And beware the masher, sexual harassment in American public places. And these all have like date ranges. Yeah, I will get into that. But I'm like, I need to read all of Carrie's books because they go into these oddly specific historical events and contexts. And I'm like, I'm here for it. Give it to me. I want to learn about women and smoking in America. I want to learn about like parasite in the united states between 1840 and 1899 what a specific range right like that's super funny like i like that she didn't yeah. just name the book it was here's the name of the book and here's the date range that this applies to yeah specifically i'm covering parasite from this year to this year right. so if you're looking for anything before or after fuck off but yeah i'm like i need to read all of carrie's books so speaking of mashers, as Kelly like raised her eyebrow, eyebrow going, what the fuck is that? It's not a potato. I wish no, it was. but I like potatoes. I know, because potatoes are good and wholesome and holy, but mashers are 
bastards. So mashers was another word for creeps who sexually harassed and attacked women in public. And their defining characteristic was that they knew all women could do to defend against them was ignore them because God forbid a woman make a scene. Right. So these guys would use this social pressure to prey on and harass women. And thank God that totally doesn't happen anymore. Mm. Again, disgustingly relatable. Naturally, men took issue with women wielding these fashionable weapons. Oh, of course. Yeah, because God forbid. Now, okay, here's the thing. Men were already not fans of the giant hats, and I totally get that. I have already established I think they're gaudy and tacky. I was gonna say I'm I'm on I'm on the I'm on the side of the men with the gaudy hat. Yeah, like no gaudy hats. Well, because they were they were big, they were hard to see over or around, and there were actually instances where a hat pin would accidentally scratch someone in a crowd. However. I don't think it can be ignored that women were using these hat pins to defend themselves. And when this started happening frequently, lawmakers then began passing legislation to limit their use. Of course. Yep. It's funny because um, crinoline, which is like the birdcage, men also hated that because one, it forced women to take up space and kept men at a distance from them. Yep. And they were lighter than like layer upon layer of skirts, which had been used to get that big, like poofy effect. And so women were more mobile in crinoline and men fucking hated it. Right? What do you mean I can't get close and they can run faster? Fuck crinoline. <laughs> Those also came with like some fatal flaws, but I didn't get into it in this episode. <laughs> It's fine. Nothing happens. It's fine. It's fine. Don't worry about it. So legislation included requiring wearers to put protective sheaths at the end of their hat pins and fining wearers for wearing hat pins over nine inches long. But police had a hard time enforcing these laws because they were way too embarrassed to approach women on the street and hassle them about their fucking oh, hat that's pins. funny. Sexism for the win? Question mark. But I love that, like, a man, like... These law enforcement officers won't enforce the quote unquote law because they're too embarrassed to talk to women where I'm like, dude, what the fuck? First of all, the law's stupid. But second of all, like, what a bunch of pussies. Right. When women were conf- were confronted by police, some of them straight up refused to comply and were sent to jail. And they were like, I'm going down with my hat pin and you can try to stop me, but I'm going to stabby stab. <laughs> stabby, 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 stab. Yeah. Can't stop. Can't stop. No, wait. Can't stop. Will stab. Hey, I'm gonna put I like that. that. Share with a picture of a hat pin. Can't, Can't stop. stop Will, Will stab. stab. It's gonna have like a really disgusting hat. <laughs> yes. A giant hat with a bunch of hat pins sticking out of it with and the sharp fruit. ends out. Lots of fruit. At least one banana, an apple, and a really uh sexualized peach okay yeah good with that like you know the one you use in texts to talk about your juicy butt yeah Yeah. anyway 
The hot hat pin debate was also happening at the same time that women were campaigning for women's suffrage and demanding their rights, which included safety. So again, the hat pin is kind of this catalyst for opposing women in a lot of other areas. Like, you can't defend yourselves from our advances. You also can't have the right to vote. You don't get to right? feel you safe. You get nothing. Yeah. Like, how dare you try to take control of your own lives and your own bodies? Then... In like an M. Night Shyamalan twist, an unexpected player entered the fray. The animal rights activists. <laughs> what? We got pre-PETA here, but they're not like a animal killing terrorist organization. <laughs> see, you see, feathers were commonly used in women's hats, like I mentioned earlier, and this led to the killing of millions of birds every year. And this eventually led to the 1918 Migratory Bird Treaty Act, which Mm. protected certain bird species. So with a decrease in ornamental feathers, which like then ornamental feathers increased the cost of these absurd fucking hats, and then the simultaneous rise of flapper fashions in the 1920s, the hat pin became a fashion relic. But honestly, we still see that concept used today so I was talking to a girlfriend because I got creeped on by a guy at the park when I was out for a walk and I'm telling her the story and she's like I have something for you and she brings me it looks like a little spike with grooves for your fingers and it's basically a modern day hat pin and it's used like it's not going to kill someone but if you stab someone it's going to hurt like hell but then you can also use it like if your car goes in the water you can like break your window oh really nice yeah it's like got a keychain on it and that kind of thing i love that you talk to a friend like another girl and you're like hey i got creeped on and she's like hold on let me help you. It was like a video game where she upgraded my my weaponry. <laughs> do, do, do. She she was the NPC that was like, take this, it's dangerous to go alone. Yeah. <laughs> but like that's the modern equivalent of the hat pin. You know, that's we still amazing. use that yeah. concept. So, like I said at the beginning, this is by no means a finite list. A lot of fashions have killed and continue to kill lot of people and I might revisit this topic in the future because it is equal parts fascinating and horrifying so guys comment on this episode if you'd like a fatal fashions part two because I've got a lot more to go for and I'm very excited so there's a part two there could be I would love a billion part a billion yes so I hope you enjoyed this herstory lesson in what not to wear I did I'm glad you did. Your I'm so face excited. was lit up the whole Good. time. And it was totally worth me like not being able to speak the whole way. Like this hurt. It didn't hurt, but I'm like, I feel I get it, yeah. the struggle to speak. So I, I hope it wasn't too terrible to listen to though for everyone. I don't think so. I just, I'm just going to pretend I have sexy vocal fry. And then I've got that sexy breathy voice. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't know what that was. That was a little weird, but it's yeah. okay. I love you anyways. Well, guys, thank you so much for your s- subscription. Thank you so much for supporting the show financially. You have 
no fucking idea how much it means to us. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. I worked really hard on it. I love it. And next month, uh, I'm turning over the reins to Kelly for her history happenings. I'm very excited for what you're going to cover. These these have allowed us to kind of branch out a little more. I like it. Into different areas of history and to be a little more loosey-goosey with it. And I've, I've had an absolute blast doing these. So I hope you listeners and you funerary call lovelies are too. And uh, stay tuned for next month. We'll have a new video episode and new history happenings for you. Do it. And as always, I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. And have an empowered day, y'all. Bye. Bye.